Welcome to High on Plants and Stoked on Science. My name is Ivan, aka Dr. Ivan Castleman. And I'm Alex the Chemist. Welcome to our podcast where we talk about science, plants that get us high, and a little bit of everything else in our world. Every week, we sit down and talk about what's been going on in the world of cannabis and psychedelics. And put our own unique spin on current events, and our opinion of course, because the world needs more opinions and we think ours are pretty, pretty, pretty good. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Now let's get into what we're talking about today. About today. Yeah. How was your week? Week was not great. Yeah. But you know, I'm uh, you know I'm dealing. I'm seeing the opportunity in the struggle and uh, and moving forward. But um, at the same time, I had some really good interactions with people in the in the uh, industry today or this week. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about the future. Mm-hmm. You know, present's not as good, but the pu- future is bright. Yeah. Well, what hey. About you? Pretty good. And yeah. uh, hey, plants grow in manure. So that's right. I mean, you know, yeah, you if, you're having a sh- that. if you're having a shitty week, just plant some seeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my week went very, very well. Um, you know, I'm helping one of my clients with their sales license. So um, getting their extraction process up, writing SOPs, you know, getting, you know, the, the gears turning in my head again. I, I really enjoy being in the lab, you know, putting on yeah. the scrubs, getting in there, being at the cutting edge. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, Writing SOPs is, is, you know, it's not very fun, but, you know, the applications... Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fun at all. No. <laughs> However, you know, the results from those SOPs are, are uh, you know, they, they can do a lot of good. And yeah. It's the destination, not the journey. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a nice little reversal. Um, but yeah, the, these uh, these SOPs, uh, some of them I'm actually developing for a uh, college course that are going to help train some students in uh, Manitoba. Um, to help lead them into the industry, get hands-on experience. Excellent, and that's that's really great. It's something that we really need right now in the industry is um, people to trans transfer their industry knowledge into you know training the 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 next generation. Well, the first generation really of of cannabis mm-hmm. workers. You know, because there's a lot of entry level positions at the moment. But you know, we need everything else. You know, we need marketers, and we need scientists, and we need accountants, and we need um, managers, and we need you know, every, everyone. So, um, so it's great that you're, uh, you're getting a, a chance to, uh, to dabble a little bit in the education realm. Yeah. One of the things I really love about the industry is you can infuse your passion into your work. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah we're, we're still at that stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully we don't move beyond that stage in yeah. the near, near term anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think we won't. We won't. I, I no, don't think so. <laughs> and you know what? I'll let it. Yeah. You know, if, if the passion's not driving this, you know, particular project, on to the next project. Yeah. Psychedelics or space. That's right. Yeah, that's on, yeah. That's on my ledger. Or both. Yeah, or both, yeah. you know. <laughs> that, that's actually, yeah, really interesting. You could, uh, you know, do psychedelics in space. You know, that. Yeah, I think you got a real, like, nice, like, yeah. you know, anyways. You know, space weed's already been done. Let's do mushroom, uh, space mushrooms. Yeah, or, or space LSD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyways, maybe a, a topic Can't, for a future podcast. Can't ride a bicycle in space, though. <laughs> true, true, true. Um, yeah, so, you know, like the, the whole vape crisis thing is really, uh, you know, it's, it's been bringing me down a little bit in the, in the actual sort of like short term, you know, um, tax increase, Apple wiping the apps and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, since my company derives a large portion of its revenue from formulating vape products, you know, in the, in the short term, it's, it's kind of been a bit of a heavy thing, but, you know, like we said before, you know, when you're, when you're piled with shit, you know, plant some seeds. And uh, I've been really lucky this week. I've um, I've been able to, you know, reach out to some, you know, great people in the industry. I participated in the Acres uh, Policy Workshop. So I got to sit around um, a working group with some um, really uh, a diverse set of people from the industry. And it really made me realize what 
kind of issues that that especially BC retailers are having in creating sustainable businesses um, in the face of you know the BC government's um, restrictions on on the industry and we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that today um, also um, got to connect with two amazing companies um, that that are terpene companies Flow Scientific, which is a local company here in Vancouver, and Ibana, which is a um, company out of Israel. Um, so I, I've met with um, um, people from, from both of those companies and really, really excited about uh, learning more about their products, but getting their products into some of the formulations I'm doing. So that, that, that was a really, um, it was a terpy week in that regard. <laughs> yeah. You know, I... I, it, I if you if you go to Israel, you have to go to I think it's Hebrew University. Mm-hmm. That's where um, Dr. Ralph Meshulam yep. is. Yep. And you know he's 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 like OG. So of course you yeah, got to get at least yeah. a selfie. You know, you know talk to him, yeah. get his perspective. It's actually interesting because Ibna is working with um, with his um, his protege. Mm. Um, so I, f- I forget her name. I'll, I'll have to put it in the show notes. But um, yeah, uh, uh, again, an amazing sort of ethnobotanical powerhouse and she's helping even uh um, design some of their formulas and stuff like that so yeah i mean yeah israel is definitely on on the places that i'd love to go and you know explore the cannabis realm there more because when it comes down to it they were definitely first movers in the industry yeah yeah they actually have a lot of good science that's being uh, done in in israel and uh i went to the uh, cannabis science conference in portland in i think it was a 2017 and just before I joined Nextleaf, and um, I saw Doctor, um, there's a Mary Deddy, uh, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. and he was talking about how um, the the thought was for epileptic seizure relief in children, and and for some patients were the cannabinoids. Yeah. But then when they looked at, um, it was kind of like a heat map of uh, different terpenes, and when they had to switch the strain uh, or cultivar to um, a different cultivar uh, that didn't have certain terpenes, the effect wasn't there. Yeah. And which really gives a lot of evidence towards Machulam's entourage effect hypothesis. Absolutely. And even as is taking that even even farther, and they've got tons of, of data that they've collected on, on strain, or yeah, strain cultivar selection. It's not called, let's call it what it is, cultivar selection <laughs> and, and um, whatnot. And they're using that data to design um, terpene mixes for certain things. So right now they've got one for sleep and one for daytime, but they're you know refining that data even further. And so yeah, they're sort of taking that initial hypothesis and and you know that initial research, and they're creating um, what they hope to be you know more uh, more products more along the pharmaceutical line where they say you know this is the ailment and this is what it's used for. Yeah. And I think that that's. I, I, you know, definitely the future of cannabinoid medicine is to take a look at those terpene profiles and, you know, marry it all up with the correct um, cannabinoids and go from there. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite sayings is, uh, what's the difference between an indica and sativa? Terpenes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's, you know, you know, cannabinoids basically, you know, they vary slightly in ratio and some, you know, strains have certain cannabinoids that others don't. But yeah, when it comes down to it, even from crop to crop, the variation in your, in your in your um, final product is terpenes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So what are we going to, uh, so yeah, let, let's uh, get into kind of what we're t- going to talk about today. And I think like overall, um, well, we, we've titled this particular podcast um, Back to BC Bud. And uh, yeah, we want to talk about 
what needs to be done to or, or what's being done to limit um, our current state of things in BC and what needs to be done to reestablish BC's, you know, cannabis supremacy. You know, back in the day, we, you know, BC bud was a big deal. And now in the wake of legalization um, and because we are, you know, heavily um, restricted and, you know, we've got a very overrate, well, you know, we've got a very regulated, some would say overregulated industry, but at the same time, we've got an incredible number of growers and extractors and citizen scientists, you know, people that have been driving this industry for so long here and like what needs what what's happening and then what needs to be done to get get us up and running again, get us going forward and, and get us back to that, you know, late 90s, early 2000s BC bud, you know, realm. Yeah. And, and it really comes down to supporting those craft growers, the um, and, and supporting the, the people that have been driving that industry for so long. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of policymakers have characterized the unregulated market as, um, you know, working with organized crime. And this is where, you know, some gang violence comes into play. But it's it's you know, you can't paint the entire unregulated market with that one brush. It's, it's a lot more nuanced. And I really appreciate the B.C. government's approach on this where they're actively helping um, uh, 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 small time growers in uh, Central Kootenai to um, you know prop them up and help them get into the system. Because if you want to compete with the unregulated market, you have to give some support and some incentive for them to join. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's what the first first thing we're going to talk about, because like, you know, it's very easy to, to um, talk about the subject and only focus on the negative. Governments overregulating, governments doing this, governments doing that. But I think that this it's better for us to start with a you know a positive story, you know. And the NDP recognizes that. Well, first of all, they're obviously recognizing <clears throat> that um, out of the Kootenai region comes probably you know in my humble opinion probably some of the best cannabis in the world. Um, you know, people in the Kootenays have been. It's been a, a staple of their economy since, well, since the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. um, when the draft chargers came across the border, they didn't get deported, but they didn't they they didn't really have a, the capacity to you know just become an accountant or or work at McDonald's, right? Because they were technically not really al- allowed to be here. So you know what did they do? They they started growing cannabis, and their friends came back from the Vietnam War with all these amazing strains, and you know that was you know pardon the pun, but literally the seed of what grew into the BC and then the Canadian cannabis market. Yeah. It's, it's hard not to make that pun. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's I, it so happens hard. all the time. Yeah, it's it happens so all the time. Um, interestingly enough, uh, one of my favorite smoked meat shops in Vancouver, Peckinpah down in uh, Gastown. Yes. Um, one of mine as well. Yeah, they have old-timey articles uh, from newspapers uh, splattered in, 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 the, um, in the bathroom. And when I went down there to use the facility, one of the articles was talking about... Um, uh, draft dodgers and how there was a program to allow them uh, uh, some sort of entry into the legal immigration system in Canada. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there was some um, some effort to because I think um, you know Canadians didn't go to the Vietnam War and the U.S. did. I, I know I wasn't alive at the time, but I imagine that it was a bit of a a controversy between the two countries. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I think that there was some mechanisms by which people could come up. Yeah. Um, but that was during Trudeau's era. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Trudeau Senior. Yeah, and 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 you know uh, maybe not draft dodgers, but more war resistors. Yes, yeah, exactly because so, the conscientious, uh, you know, resistors. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. But um, so anyways, the BC government has um, decided like they're going to um, create a grant program. So for, um, I guess, uh, medical growers and black market growers that want to step into the light, they want to start doing their um, their thing um, for the legal market. They are going to get. Um, why don't we uh, oh, why don't we read the article? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, st- this is from Straight Cannabis, written by Charlie Smith on November eighteenth. Is titled, this the Georgia Straight? Ver- like, is that their their sort of sub thing, or is that a totally different? Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's the Georgia Straight, but they're talking about this is their their cannabis like uh, insert or, or yeah. like whatever they call it. Straight cannabis. Yeah, we'll have to ask, like, you know, Chet Dormanda or Piper or somebody. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. Um, So this is titled, BC NDP government takes baby steps to help craft cannabis growers join the legal economy. Last week, the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction announced a new initiative to help microgrowers in uh, a pot in the Kootenays. It provided $675,000 to the Canadian, or sorry, the Cannabis Business Transition Initiative uh, which will be delivered by Community Futures Central Kootenay. It's a nonprofit community uh, economic development organization. Yeah, so I've actually um, I've worked on a Community Futures project before. Well, over a decade now, um, the the Shushwap Trail Alliance was funded by um, Community Futures um, in um, the Thompson Okanagan. And yeah, the Community Futures is a, a way of of basically um, taking large amounts of government grants and you know, making them available to very specific programs in a region, what that's been, you know, and, and each region obviously has different needs and, and are tar- uh, different targets to, to reach. And so Community Futures is is the uh, organization that oversees this. So this is a, um, you know, this is a huge leap forward. This is really all levels of government recognizing that, you know, it's not a case of just, you know, sending in the cops and shutting, shutting down the, the black market growers, but really working to transition the entire industry from where it is now and where it has been for um, decades and, you know, bring everyone across because we need all of that. We need all of that knowledge. We need all of that, you know, accumulated experience and wisdom and, you know, all the citizen science that has gone into the extraction and the cultivation and the breeding and the growing. It's really imperative and now is the time to do it because... If we don't do it now, you know, we're going to be even farther behind as the rest of the world catches up. Mm-hmm. And what what's I, I imagine what's been happening, too, is we're going to start losing a lot of that long term knowledge to other regions because those those people that have been growing and and supporting that industry for so long, you know, that, that's a valuable resource. And, you know, we've got to we've got to support it. So it's great that the B.C. government is doing something to bring that forward. Yeah, so according to a BC government news release, Community Futures has hired a team of cannabis business advisors to help small producers transition into the legal cannabis economy. Did, did you get a, a job offer for no, this No, I didn't. No, I, I didn't no. either. Yeah, where, where's our uh, invitation, <laughs> Community Futures? You're no longer in the Kootenays, so yeah, you, know, that's true. you sold true. out to Vancouver. Yeah, you're right. You're um, right. So there are an estimated 2,500 growers of illegal weed in the Kootenays. What do you think of that? I think that number is probably very, very low. But maybe just very low. Yeah. I. Um, but anyways, you know, good, you know, hard to estimate that kind of thing. And it kind of pulls the punch on the impact as well. So if they said that there is, you know, I, I don't know, I would put put it more in like the 10,000 grower range, mm-hmm. you know, and that. Yeah. But, I, you know, 
I think Look there's something like 40 some odd thousand, uh, you know, this is totally unscientific, but just from what I heard, like around 40,000 registered MMAR growers in BC alone, or there was at the height. Yeah. So that, you know, in, in the Kootenai region, that's where a lot of good cannabis is produced. So yeah, I, you'd, you'd, you'd imagine that there would be a high concentration. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know where that, that figure yeah. came from. But anyway, depending on the circumstance, some may be eligible for loans of up to $500,000 uh, the business advice comes for free. Well, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think you know, and you, you take I um I've worked on um on sort of pricing out what a micro like a very bare bones um, micro would cost, and you know for half a million dollars you could get you know up to operational capacity and um, and start turning a profit. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'd be at your maximum profitability. I think you'd want to you know, but. You know, every, no business is profitable right out the gate, right? You need to operate, you need to create revenue, you need to generate that revenue and put it back into your business to grow it. But I think it's a like half a million dollars would be an excellent start to get people up and running. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now the question is, you know, you give these people the money, but I think one of the issues with the micros at the moment, because it's a small business, having the money is all well and good, but it's really the delays in licensing that, that hurt because you have to have the property, you have to have everything set up, ready to go for licensing, and then you sit on your sit on it, mm-hmm. you know, and you twiddle your thumbs until, you know, the, the licensing people come around and say, oh, you can go now. I think what they really should start looking at doing is say, is, you know, looking at, you know, you know, pictures and the evidence package and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, let give people provisional licenses to get up and running, you know, even if they're not actually selling their their cannabis, but at least allow if you had an MMAR license before, then just, you know, run under a, a provisional micro license so you can get up and running. You can work out the kinks because having set up multiple grow rooms, it doesn't matter how good you are at setting up grow rooms. you got to run a few crops through that grow room before you get the environment dialed in. You know, you've got the, the click on your thermostat you know just right and you know all the other you know factors at play so mm-hmm. um but we're like focusing on the positive yes yeah. definitely a step in the right direction absolutely um here's a quote we are currently working with five businesses through the fall of 2019 to develop the business plan templates and groundwork for successful licensing and we'll be opening intake for four clients per month beginning in january 2020 community futures states on its website Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnsworth or Farnworth said that the government's goal is to help producers who are not, and that is emphasized, connected to uh, organized crime. A failure to transition these producers uh, would only uh, would not only jeopardize our goal to reduce the illegal market; it would also be a lost opportunity to create stable jobs that support families and communities. Bravo! Bravo! Yeah. Bravo. Well, yes. And what we have to be, have to remember that um, you know here in here in the Lower Mainland, I think that the organized crime discussion is certainly a lot more relevant. Whereas in the like and and you know and and, and it happened um, in um, Humboldt County as well, where you know the organized crime kind of moved in on the you know the farmers and the you know just the the, the small scale cultivators. But in the Kootenays, one thing that's f- from, you know, from the people that I know and, and having, having worked in that region um, back in the day, um, 
the organized crime you know footprint there is actually not very big mm -hmm. and the people that are growing there are doing it to support their their families and you know uh, if you take a town like nelson which is the the main main center in the or the, one of the largest towns in the in the kootenays um, actually technically a city little uh, little tidbit fact actually um, when uh, when canada was gearing up for confederation um, in bc the two towns that were proposed as the capital of BC, one was Nelson and one was Victoria. Wow. But in order to get Victoria to join BC in Confederation and not be their own province, it was given to Victoria. But yeah, I would, yeah. That imagine. makes a lot of sense now why Victoria is the yeah. capital. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And um, in hindsight, it, yeah, I, like it would have been a very different, um, you know, different province, I think, if we had had BC or uh, Nelson as the capital. Yeah. Um, Anyways, that imagine like a very big New Brunswick on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, interesting. But anyways, yeah. So um, if you look at Nelson, it's a vibrant community. You know, um, uh, a thriving art scene. It's got amazing restaurants and probably some of the best selection of outdoor gear shops, like in all of BC, mm -hmm. because growers would grow and you know, and that cash infusion into the the Nelson economy was super important not just for people that grew cannabis but for the the community at large like mm -hmm. it really allowed nelson whose other economies are really based on natural resource extraction to you know temper you know the down times and you know benefit from the the good times in the economy so um it yeah we really have to recognize the importance of the cannabis economy in a place like the kootenays yeah absolutely so um Continuing on with the article, because of the way legalization was rolled out, large federally licensed and often publicly traded producers have dominated the legal cannabis sphere. That's because the feds have been restricting production licenses to those who have secured buildings, according to Pasha Brand's spokesperson Jamie Shaw. In an interview with The Straight last summer, Shaw said that small operators have faced bureaucratic obstacles at the local and regional level in obtaining approvals. That, in turn, has eliminated their chance of entering the legal market. And, you know, that's a really good point because how much of this is, you know, the government's stated intention is, you know, safety for the community, safety for kids, and helping to, to eliminate the black market. But they put up all these high walls. And, you know, to be quite honest, a lot of the uh, uh, unregulated growers have expressed to me that it's just not worth it for them. The margins aren't there, yeah. you know, financially, the the burden uh, and, and like they, they they've continued under a um, illegal regime for so long that this is no big difference. Like the rest of the country is legalized, but it doesn't really change for them. Yeah. I mean, they're in a position where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, any business owner would be crazy to take a business model that works and shut it all down, stop it, and often, like, you know, potentially up to two or three years that they would have to stop what they're doing, you know, so they're not making any profit just to, you know, do it all over again, be, you know, more regulated, have less opportunity for profits. So, you know, it's not... And God forbid if they have a record, too, because yeah. that only complicates the, the process of getting a security license or security clearance. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think in this, you know, in this new paradigm that we have in Canada with legal cannabis across the board now, medical and recreational, I think that it's really up to the the people that are issuing the licenses to take a look at, you know, what those criminal records are for. Are they for 
growing a plant that just happens to be illegal and like transporting cannab- it to and, uh, to patients and transporting it to patients or access centers. Yeah, that you know that should be that should be fine. Whereas you know, is it gun violence? Is it um, all sorts of you know? Is it um, theft and things that are are negative impact on society? Then you know maybe that should hold up your security license. But just because you have a criminal record for cannabis doesn't mean that you should be excluded from. In fact, that should be. In fact, what what the licenses licensees should do is go through their past convictions and take a look at all the people that have had convictions and call them up and ask them, like, you know, can we help you transition? <laughs> you know, what can we do to help? Because, you know, those are the people that have been movers and shakers in our society. They've just been unlucky enough to get caught with a particular plant that's illegal at a particular time. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a very um, uh, radical and novel approach, which yeah. I would I'd definitely support. I'm all for that. Indeed. Yeah. Actually, what I wanted, um, we, uh, we both have a... Um, uh, a friend of ours that um, runs a company in St. Kitts, or is it St. Vincent's? St. Vincent. St. Vincent. Sorry, I was and the Grenadines and the Grenadines. What? Yeah, I always get the the two mixed up. <laughs> Anyways, um, and uh, under his license, he's actually required to buy a certain percentage of cannabis from local producers. Yep. And I think this is an excellent approach. Like imagine if you had in BC, if the LPs or a microcultivation license had to buy 10% or 15% of their cannabis from even ACMPR growers, like medical growers, um, without any, you know, not worrying about licensing or anything like that, just about, you know, starting to help those black market growers, you know, understand the advantages of the of the um, the legal market and and you know that would be a baby step in towards transitioning. I think they they've in in the Caribbean they've taken a really interesting approach to you know helping move people forward just a little bit. Yeah, and that's what I really enjoy about the whole glo- global cannabis industry. You have all these experiments being um, uh, played out and through policy yeah. and and how they help incentivize their legacy growers transition into the legal economy. Yeah. Which this is this is just the, the beginning and and you know, I think it's imperative for us and I think the BC government is starting to take this approach where they are looking at lessons and how to incentivize uh, to, you know, bring any everybody under the big tent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean I think, you know, the, the way forward is for government to be involved less and less and less. Because the I mean the the real delays right now have a lot to do with, you know, the government regulating and over-regulating and, you know, and the reason why, you know, the large corporations and the publicly traded companies have, are now established is because they're the ones that, you know, raise the whatever 10 or $20 million that it was required to build a facility and wait around for your licenses for three or four years and then get into operation. Yeah. Not a lot of other companies, or sorry, a lot of other sectors have that burden you can you can get your funding build out your company and start mm-hmm. and then so your path path to profitability is a lot shorter and you know and that's an advantage and and with a small business you don't have that leeway to sit on a on a project and and burn capital for even even five or six months, let alone two or three years. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know it's really on the government at all levels to facilitate the rapid involvement of black market growers into the legal system. Yeah, and it's it's also important to note where we are in the industry 
um, as it evolves, it was very easy to you know create a business plan, um, maybe get some basics uh, up and running in your facility, and raise like a couple, maybe five, maybe ten million dollars. Yeah. Because that was the huge rush. But now, as we're seeing that a lot of these larger producers aren't meeting their EBITDA or they're, they're not getting, uh, they, they don't really have uh, profits. They have revenues, but not profits. Um, these sky high valuations are not being realized and there's a correction in the market. Yeah, um, yeah, major correction. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like to say that that a lot of cannabis companies were, um, you know, they, they, fund, they, they raised their funds based on a website and a dream, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and some really well- placed people that knew the right people to put to put that money in and and you're right i mean right now we're seeing you know a major correction in the market and going forward it's not going to be the companies that were good at raising money it's going to be the companies that you know operate lean they have a clear vision of the future they have a clear lane that they operate in you know i think that the the days of vertically integrated companies are quickly become becoming you know obsolete because we really need to focus in on our core competencies and and work within the ecosystem exactly and you know it's a i mean we're still lucky that it's a highly collaborative industry um and i think one of the the main things that that are important for a company going forward is to have yeah a management team that's focused on you know operating lean and maximizing revenue yeah Um, because like, like you said, um, you know, the majority of cannabis companies are not living up to the hype. Mm-hmm. And when you don't live up to the hype, that early money and the, the skittish investors, they don't they don't like that. And yeah. they, they're gone. They're, they're going to start um, investing in satellite companies in India or, you know, whatever other project is new and fun and interesting. Um, so, yeah, or psychedelics or psychedelics. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that's, that's starting to come on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's an investor out there that wants to invest in psychedelics, hit us up. Yeah. <laughs> it is in the DMs. Slide into our DMs. That's right. That's right. Um, so as the article continues, um, pretty much what we were talking about, in addition, the, those crim, uh, the, uh, in addition, those with criminal records for, con, uh, for growing cannabis are not receiving security clearances to work in the legal industry. Because the little guys are being shut out, many have resorted to supplying the black market. Illegal weed is significantly cheaper than legal cannabis. Uh, according let's, to statistics, statistics and, and let's just also add that the majority of it's actually better than legal cannabis as well. Yes, yeah, and we'll actually t- uh, have a uh, talk about that in a future podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. Uh, it's a. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's sort of the typical thing to say, um, but I, you know, I think both of us have started to experience some legal cannabis that that has is definitely coming up through the ranks. Yeah, but I think generally speaking, yeah. you know, when you compare the black market to the the legal market. Um, well, because the, le- the, the legal market is basically driven by large-scale LPs, and that's large-scale a- agriculture. You know, that's the equivalent of your hothouse tomato. Whereas the small-scale sm- guys, they are that, those are the true craft growers. So that's the, the tomato that you buy from the, your local farmer's market. And, you know, there's, there's always going to be a, a, a quality differential. I know for a fact that those big guys are definitely going to be starting to increase their quality because um, that's imperative for them to, to go forward and survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it also is a is is the reason why we really really need these these small scale um, currently black market growers to transition because that's the, they have been growing BC, you know, the you know, the premium BC bud for so long 
You know, we need, and we need more of that. Yeah. Um, the article continues, that in turn has undermined provincial government's ability to generate revenue as the illegal market continues to thrive. BC has so many small growers and was slower in licensing legal private stores, so it's taken a bigger financial hit. The province generated just $19.5 million in legal cannabis revenue through June 2019. That was only 15.4% of what was generated next door in Alberta, which has a smaller population. So let's unpack that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we're, we'll, we'll um, slowly slide into the next topic that we're going to talk about. But back at the hay- in the heyday, so sort of late 80s, 90s, and probably to the, to the early 2000s, um, the yearly revenue for, that cannabis generated in BC was estimated to be about $10 billion or so, basically about twice what the forestry industry was at the time. So, so we know already that, and that, that was probably a conservative estimate too, like when you um, add in all the ancillary um, you know, um, industries and you know, people like businesses that were supporting those, um, those grows and, and the cultivation and stuff like that, um, we pro- there was probably a lot more economical benefit to the uh, to the province, but you know, take your five percent off the top of the ten billion. Well, that's a heck of a lot more than the um, the nineteen point three million that you made um, in that one month, which that- is only fifteen point four percent of what was generated in Alberta. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. much for Alberta hating cannabis. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, back. Turns to the- out, conservatives love weed. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. Well, just, a, just you know, in their own private home. Conservatives actually like anything that makes money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from my from my experience with them. So if you can make the business case for it, then that overshadows any moral or religious or you know cultural obligation to anything. I wonder what's happening in the timeline where the Andrew Shear won a majority government. <laughs> <laughs> like the impacts yeah. in, in the legal industry. <laughs> I don't want to think about I don't, it. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's not get that to it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so let I, me just finish okay, off here. Yeah. Um, so the BC government has maintained a monopoly over wholesale cannabis sales, unlike Saskatchewan, and it has refused to allow craft growers to sell directly to legal private retailers. To try to shut down the illegal market, a community safety unit in Farm, Farnsworth's industry, uh, sorry, ministry is shutting down unlicensed retail stores. There are five categories of cannabis licenses, cultivation, processing, sale for medical purposes, analytical testing, and our favorite, research. Woohoo! Abbotsford lawyer John Conroy, good friend. I, I yeah, like John. Good He's, guy. Yeah, good guy. A historical figure in, in the industry. Um, recently told The Strait in August that the feds are actually reinforcing the black market even though they claim to be wanting to stamp it out. As an example, he cited the decision to delay legal edibles by a year and impose a maximum of 10 milligrams of uh, tetrahydrocannabinol or THC per package. Holy crap! Did he he just proposed that right? He's actually not going to do it, or like it hasn't been. It's not like the the twenty percent tax. Oh no no! This is um. Uh, I think this is something uh, different. Yeah. <laughs> Yet another point to add to my shitty week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so take the uh, uh, quote. Take the existing industry and roll it in so it's not competing with you. Conroy said by way of advice. They keep saying they're trying to get rid of the black market, but they keep doing things to maintain it. The edibles being a classic example. Yeah. So I want to actually talk about this, um, the shutting down the retail stores. So, um, and I've been, I've been starting to, you know, I've got my ear to the ground in Vancouver and I've started to hear, you know, a lot of the, you know, are those old dispensaries that we knew and we loved and, and, you know, have been supplying us with cannabis in the city. 
for a very, very long time. Dana got knocked the other day, Dana yeah. Larson. Well, it was a yeah. couple of weeks ago now. And then another uh, uh, unregulated dispensary um, that is indigenously owned was um, raided as well uh, a couple or a few weeks ago. So yeah. it looks like this community safety unit by uh, Farn- Farnsworth Ministry here in BC um, is doing what uh, they're, they're, uh, they're set out to do yeah. there. But so. you know what's happening is that those those same people that are running the dispensary, they're like, okay, well, we're not going to... Um, we're we're not going to do the storefront thing anymore. We're going to go back to, back to the speakeasy style that we used to have before the dispensary mar- the dispensary market really started to get going in Vancouver. What the government's not realizing is that the ca- cannabis community has been doing this for a very very long time, and any you know moderately enterprising cannabis um, smoker or consumer is going to figure out a way to get the maximum quality of cannabis for the least amount of money. Yeah. And so now it's just a case of, you know, a friend knows a friend and you text them and you go by their place or a secret knock at the door. Like, I mean, they're, they're really in the face of legalization. We're actually seeing like a rebirth of, you know, the, the speakeasy style dispensary. They've got a playbook. That's right. And, yeah. I mean, and, and we're just, you know, like <laughs> the government doesn't have a playbook on this. They're they're in brand new territory. But, you know, you know, as an industry. We know we know what to do mm-hmm. when when the pressure comes down, we you know get a little quieter and a little bit more secret, and you know we put it out in the in our social network, and it's done. And leveraging technology like mail That's order it. marijuana companies, moms. Yep. yep, yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah, just just a simple fact of you know you text your guy instead of you know instead of rolling up to a a dispensary. So you know, I think that the you know, and this actually um, feeds us into the next thing that we wanted to talk about today. Um, so the, the event that I went to at Acres, it really, really sort of brought home the, the issues that retailers are having because essentially the BC government has set up a, 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 a monopoly. So the BC government, yeah, and so because the BC government is a government, technically speaking, the monopoly that they've created is not illegal. But in Canada, monopolies are legal, except for two types. There's the natural monopoly, which is like, uh, you know, electrical companies, you know, public utilities, where it wouldn't make sense for multiple companies to compete on that front. And there's legal monopolies, which are covered by patents. So outside of that, you know, everything else is anti-competitive. Yet the, the BC government has insisted on, on creating another monopoly because and and it's you know in in uh, hacker terms it's a man in the middle attack right they are dis- destroying the industry by putting themselves in the middle mm-hmm. and it's my humble opinion that you know governments suck at doing business you know and in a free market economy which it, which i is my impression of you know what the the bc economy is or should be anyways it's it's no place for governments to try to actually do the business what the what the um, governments need to do is focus on their core competencies and that's regulation legislation Smart regulation yeah i mean yeah and i mean informed regulation absolutely i mean they the yeah big picture regulation but i totally agree they i mean it needs it needs to be very you know conscious the the le- legislation that they create anyways regulation legislation and taxation and in business you know the holy grail is passive income like if you can create a business where you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to trade your time for money or you don't have to do 
lots and lots of work to make make the money like passive income you know just flows into your bank account and the government has that opportunity they basically have to you know set the regulations and sit back and you know reasonably tax the industry and it'll flow into the coffers but yet they they insist on creating a wholesale monopoly going into direct competition with all the private retailers and the private retailers with with BC government stores in the same area as them are really not able to compete because the the BC stores leverage their wholesale monopoly to make sure that their prices are as cheap as they can get because they don't have to worry about the margins because they're making their, their their cut off the top you know from the you know from wholesale all the way down so if you do try to compete with them even say you you put your price you know a cent under the bc stores you're maybe looking at a three three to four percent markup which is really not very much i mean you're you're barely covering expenses let alone you know yeah. actually making a profit and private retail um, especially sort of the small you know mom and pop private retail like the village bloomery, um, like the yeah, like the village bloomery, and yeah, we've got a few examples of of those those kind of places in in Vancouver. Those, what we term mom and pop stores, they're the lifeblood of commerce in BC, mm-hmm. and we have to. And if we if we support them and they're successful, then people are hired and jobs are created, taxes are paid, and revenues are generated for the government, and when you allow them to fully operate in a free market society, those business owners are far smarter than any government legislator when it comes to running a business. They're gonna find the efficiencies, they're gonna create maximum revenue, and a small business that maximizes their revenue is worth far more to the, the government in terms of taxes and, and jobs than, than it would be going through all the rigmarole and all the cost and all the hassle of the BC government trying to set up a business um, when they have no business being in business. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was Unity Marguerite, um, who is affiliated with, with Village Bloomery. She had put in a post on social media. I, I, don't, I don't remember if it was uh, either Instagram or uh, Twitter, but she had mentioned that one of the, um, I, th- I think it was for, for, for 3.5 grams uh, sold of, of uh, one type of cannabis, the the uh, village bloomery only made two dollars and seventy one cents on that sale, and like that is not enough to be making profits and and to to support a sustainable business. It's very difficult for the private retailers. That's right. And what happens is that um, in business, you have to pass those costs on to your um, your c- customer. So it's it's bad for business because they're not maximizing their profit. And they're not able to hire more people and they're not able to pay more taxes. But it also impacts the customer because they're the cost of the cost of black market cannabis is lower than the cost of legal cannabis. So they are the customer is is going to be smart with their money Mm -hmm. and they're going to find a way to maximize the purchase of the quality cannabis you know, the amount of quality cannabis for the, the money they have. So um, it's also like a surprise bag when you buy from the legal market because you can't see it. You, you see, you have that little um, oh, that's it. Yeah. smell box of like, you know, oh. what you hope is representative of the cannabis you're about to purchase, but you can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't. Yeah. There's no, no sensory experience at mm-hmm. all. Even like, even, even the ability to see it before you buy it. 
you know, because yeah. I, I don't know if you've run into this issue, but, you know, every once in a while you open up a thing, you get really nice, big bud, it's crystally, always a bit dry, but that's right. It can be like refluffed or something like that. Sometimes you, you buy a gram and you get like 30 micro buds that, I mean, you know. And little flakes. Yeah. yeah. Having... Or, or, or stem. it almost feels like they put like, you know, 10 micro buds and then they've just shaked a little little bit of shake on top of it just to kind of like bring it up to bring it up to weight yeah. or something. I'll tell you what, when I was wholesaling cannabis back in the day, I would have been mortified and embarrassed to ever give any clients anything that was anything smaller than, say, a quarter, um, like a, you know, the uh, a coin, a coin base, everything above the quarter. I would sell, you know, as as bags, and then you know, if it was smaller than that, I I would grade all that out. It would either cost less for the for the um, my customers to buy. I'd use it myself, or you know, we that it would end up going into some sort of extraction or something like that. Some butter, exactly. Yeah. Um. So like, it boggles my mind that <laughs> that somebody, some quality control person somewhere said, oh yeah, no, it's okay to have a gram that's you know twenty micro little buds that you know look like you know they they were they they swept them off the floor of the cutting of the of the drying room and not actually like imagine the time and effort it took to to trim that off the plant yeah (laughs) crazy anyways yeah so you actually have been writing some some great content lately yeah yeah um i've been on a tear um uh yeah i uh just got got really inspired to start you know putting my opinion out there and and up to now, most the, the majority of my work, you know, I've, I've really sort of um, sat down, you know, very researched, well thought out. You know, it takes me, you know, a week or two to create the content. But um, I've been experimenting a little bit more with, you know, developing an idea, um, you know, quickly and, you know, just get that stream of consciousness thought out. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually going to read a clip um, based on this whole um, monopoly thing because I think, um, it, you know, it's, it's poignant. Um, so yeah, I published this um, this week um, uh, in a blog called A Chokehold in Progress, BC's Cannabis Monopoly. Yes, A Chokehold in Progress, BC's um, Cannabis Monopoly, um, which can be read at uh, phytoconfluence.com. But I'm going to read you a clip here. So before cannabis was legalized in Canada, B- the BC cannabis, unimpeded by regulations, taxes and oversight, thrived. A real example of unfettered pure capitalism. While a totally unregulated market is not the way forward, Instead of establishing anti-competitive regulations and manifesting a supply monopoly, the province, as in the BC province, should focus on what are the core competencies of government, regulation, licensing, and taxation. Governments at all levels suck at business, and in a capitalist free market society, a for-profit enterprise is no place for government. To understand how bad the BC government is at business, all we have to do is look at ICBC one of the very few insurance companies in North America that have consistently posted negative returns over the last decade. Insurance is literally a license to print money. Yet the BC government has been unable to make a profit despite, you guessed it, another monopoly. So what's the solution? First, the province needs to get out of the cannabis business altogether with no wholesale monopoly, no retail locations, and no online sales. Let retailers buy direct from the cultivators or private wholesalers. In business, the holy grail of making money is passive income, income that comes with no direct work. If cannabis were taxed at a reasonable rate, similar to alcohol or tobacco, the government would have a steady stream of tax revenue, no action required. 
Treat cannabis like any other type of business. No need for provincial licenses. Let the municipalities deal with zoning and business licenses based on guidance from the province. Let free market capitalism take the reins of retail cannabis in BC. Let's get back to BC bud. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here. Here, here. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good uh, opinion piece. And yeah, you can find that on phytoconfluence.com. And uh, you, you just got your website up and running. I did, yeah. So, um, yeah, um, uh, Gary V has, um, uh, did I say it right this yeah, time? You yeah, you did. Good. Gary V. I've got <laughs> a Jerry. I've got this brain fart that's Jerry V, but Gary V. Um, yeah, um, a couple weeks ago, I, uh, I hit up a piece that he, um, he had on YouTube because um, he's, I think his marketing company is going to enter into the cannabis space. Mm-hmm. So he was talking to some cannabis um, entrepreneurs in um, in California, and he just really got me thinking about, you know, a different approach. And um, and yeah, so I've been really um, really focused in on, um, yeah, getting you know what I think and what I feel, and you know, just making it available to the people. Basically, right now I'm you know tweaking, chucking some stuff at the wall. Um, yeah, I've been trying to, um, you know, this week I created, uh, you know, created, you know, five pieces of content. Um, and, uh, so yeah, basically one, one a week, I, I actually took Thursday, Thursday off, but, um, and then just really trying to like just share poignant sections of that on, on, on Twitter and Instagram. And, um, yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, I've been, I've had several forays into, uh, social media. I actually did, uh, my, uh, my first master's. I did um, a, a YouTube project, so you know I'm I'm well versed in social media, but um, often I get a little bit you know turned off of it um, as a you know just like a popularity player or whatever. But I think that when you've got you know something to say and and hopefully something that's interesting to the rest of the people, mm-hmm. yeah. And at the point at the moment, I'm actually not really too worried if anyone else is interested. I'm just interested in using this as a as a media to collect my ideas and most importantly. Um, cause I mean, at this state, um, where we are at in social media, you don't like long form, um, you know, written pieces are not really, um, you know, people aren't consuming that. So it really forces you to take a, you know, a big idea and really, you know, get it, you know, clear and concise. So, so it's consumable via, you know, typical social media. And, and, and kudos to the people who have made it this far through the podcast. Yeah, they, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We, we're, we just we just keep running and uh, rambling and, uh, uh, yeah. you know, bantering, which, you know, which is fun for us. And I hope it's fun for you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely um, interested to hear your comments and feedback. We can you, we're we're definitely both uh, aware we're, that we can grow and we can improve and we can learn. <laughs> we're in the iterative process right that's now. Right. You that's know, right. Um, Nike, Nike said it best. Just do it. And that's yep. one of the things that uh, Jer- uh, guess, now you got me. <laughs> <laughs> Gary V. Yeah, Gary V. <laughs> I never had a problem. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's totally my fault. I don't know. Some yeah. weird, some some weird uh, brain yeah. fart. Yeah, Gary V. Says just get out there, just do it, produce yeah. some content, and uh, th- that's actually one of the reasons why we started this podcast. Yes, to get us out there, and and it gets our gears turning, and uh, yep. you know, nothing really happens isolated in a box. You have to put it out there. Um, get that criticism and hear yep. feedback and comments. So please do let us know what you think, how we might be able to improve. Is it too long? You know, should we go longer? Should we, I don't yep. know. Yeah. Uh, we give def- us all the shittas. Yeah. We definitely have more to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>